Well, good morning, church family, here in person and out on the patio, and I know some of you are worshiping from home online as well. Welcome today. You know, there are a few things that can tear a family apart faster than a family inheritance. Members of tight-knit, seemingly healthy families can suddenly find themselves at odds with each other when there's an inheritance at stake. How to split up the assets. Who gets to live in the house? Whether to sell the house. Who gets mom's wedding ring? These decisions can become opportunities for painful arguments and intense disagreements. I've seen people contest a parent's will. I've seen long-lost family members suddenly, surprisingly, show up hoping to get a share. I've seen people sneak into the family house and take things without the other family members knowing it. I have friends who haven't talked to some of their family members in years because of a family inheritance and the conflict that came up. An inheritance can bring out the worst in people. Now, we've been in a series through the eighth chapter of the book of Romans called Life in the Spirit. And we ended last week talking about our inheritance within the family of God as God's sons and daughters in this family. Because the Holy Spirit has caused us to be adopted into the family of God. As daughters and sons, we have an inheritance of the Spirit. And today we're going to talk about that inheritance more. From Romans chapter 8, verses 17 through 21, we're going to see three different aspects of the inheritance of the Spirit. A past aspect, a present aspect, and a future aspect of our inheritance of the Spirit. And so I want to invite you, if you're able, would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word from Romans chapter 8, verses 17 through 21. Now, I ended last week with chapter 17, but I'm going to read chapter 17 again because it is kind of the pivot or the hinge into the discussion today. So beginning in verse 17. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself would be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. You can be seated. Now, in our legal system, you don't actually have a family inheritance until after a parent dies and their will is executed. As long as your parents are alive, even if you're named in the will, you don't actually have a legal claim to the inheritance until after your parents die. Until then, you're an heir apparent. After all, your parents could change the will. I know some parents that threaten to do that all the time with their kids. Or a court could throw out a will 
for a variety of different reasons. But back when the Bible was written, it was different. In the Bible, you had an inheritance because of your place in the family, not because a parent had died and named you in their will. So if you were a son or daughter, a legitimate son or daughter in a family, you automatically had a share in the household or family inheritance, even while your parents were still alive. So because of the way inheritance laws worked back then, the inheritance of the Spirit that Paul is talking about here in Romans already belongs to us because of our place in the family of God. After all, if we had to wait for the father of this family to die, we'd be waiting a very long time because in the family of God, God the Father is never going to die. But it's our place as legitimate daughters and sons of God within the family that makes us heirs and heiresses of this inheritance. But Paul adds a big if here in verse 17. If we share in Christ's sufferings. In God's family, we can expect to suffer with Jesus. The word suffer Paul uses here refers to painful experiences that cause us trouble and difficulty and distress as we go through life. It's the same word he uses in verse 18 when he says our present sufferings. We go through a lot of painful stuff in this life. People we care about die. Some have relatives that struggle with mental illness. We or people we know are victimized by powerful institutions or powerful people. We experience economic setbacks, broken, wounded relationships, sicknesses, addictions, divorce. I could go on and on. Every week as I pray through the prayer requests that you submit to the church. I know that some of you are going through some very difficult and painful times right now. Our lives are punctuated with pain. And this suffering can feel overwhelming at times. And Paul is telling us here that when we suffer as God's children in God's family, we're actually sharing in the suffering of Jesus. We're suffering with him. And we're sharing in the suffering of Jesus, verse 17 says, in order that, it's a purpose clause, in order that we might also share in his glory. The purpose of sharing in the sufferings of Jesus is to one day share in the glory of Jesus. And one day when we weigh the suffering that we share with Jesus now on the scales with the glory we will one day share with Jesus the glory will far outweigh our suffering. Now let's think about this word glory for a minute. The, the Greek word for glory that's used here is the word doxa. It's where we get the word doxology from. And doxa has kind of two related meanings. It can refer to having a favorable reputation, being famous like a celebrity. That's doxa, that's glory. But it can also refer to brightness, like a bright light that's shining. Now, most often in the Bible, glory, doxa, is ascribed to God. 
glory belongs to God ultimately. When we bring God glory, we make God's reputation known. We make him famous by shining the light so that people see his greatness. When we've done that, we've glorified God. But according to the New Testament, the glory of Jesus is revealed through his suffering. When Jesus came to the world, his glory was hidden. His fame as God's eternal son and the blazing brightness of his deity were hidden. It's like that old John Wesley Christmas carol that Christ's godhood was veiled in flesh. And what was veiled in flesh was revealed through his suffering. Paul is telling us here that through the Holy Spirit's presence, there's also a glory that is veiled or hidden inside of you and inside of me, inside of anyone who's a part of God's family through Jesus. Not the glory of Godhood like Jesus had, but the glory of being God's children by adoption. Last week, I talked about the indwelling of the Spirit, how the Spirit lives within us. And I mentioned that the biblical background for this idea of the indwelling of the Spirit are the Old Testament stories of God's glory filling God's temple. That when we trust in Jesus, we become God's temple and God's glory through the presence of the Holy Spirit dwells or lives within us. But like with Jesus, our glory as God's children is hidden. Inwardly present through the presence of the Holy Spirit, yet not outwardly revealed. And just as Jesus' glory was revealed through his suffering, this glory that is within us as his children grows through our participation with his suffering. This is true of every single individual Christian. But then in verses 19 through 21 of our reading, Paul widens the camera angle to include all of the creation, the cosmos, everything that God has made. The whole creation waits in eager anticipation for this glory that is hidden within you and me as God's children to one day be fully revealed for everyone and everything to see. The creation here refers to everything that God has made, the sun and the moon, the mountains and the oceans, valleys and rivers, lions and sharks, eagles and whales. Paul pictures all of the creation waiting on tiptoe, straining forward in anticipation for that glory that's within you and me to one day be visible. Cindy and I went to a, a wedding this last Thursday of two former Azusa Pacific students that, that we know. And before the bride came out, after the rest of the wedding party had come out, before the bride came out, all the guests were looking over their shoulder at the door that they knew the bride was going to come out from. And they made us wait a while. We were, we were looking over our shoulder for a little while. 
And as we waited, we were all like leaning in anticipation to see the glory of this bride on her wedding day. And when the door finally opened and she appeared with her, with her mom and her dad by her side, a few people gasped. Cindy started crying. And all of us stood in the presence of this bride's glory on her wedding day. It's kind of what Paul's talking about here. In her sermon on this passage, Pastor Fleming Rutledge says that this is the only place in Paul's writings where he links the destiny of human beings with the destiny of all the rest of the creation. You see, the entrance of sin into our world didn't just mess up people. It messed up all of creation. Sin subjected all of creation to frustration. Some translations translate it futility. When our first parents sinned in Genesis 3, creation was rendered unable to achieve its intended goal because it became enslaved to the decay of death, sin, evil, corruption. A couple of years ago, Cindy and I were talking to a farmer we know who has vineyards along the central coast, and he confessed to us during that conversation. He said, the land hates me. It's a battle to produce anything. We live in a world of thorns and thistles, hurricanes and tornadoes, cancer and COVID. Here in California, we live in a world of drought and wildfires and earthquakes. And God has allowed this state of affairs so that his redemption of humanity could eventually lead to the redemption of creation itself. Our salvation as Christians will one day lead to creation's salvation. The family of God today, the church, is a foretaste of the new heavens and new earth that God will one day create out of this fallen creation we live in. But until that happens, all creation are like the guests at that wedding, looking over their shoulder, leaning in anticipation for the door to finally open and the glory of the children of God to finally be revealed. Now let me outline a couple of aspects of this inheritance. What Paul says in these few verses is very compact, so I want to bring in a couple of other verses from Paul's writings to kind of fill in what Paul is saying here. There are three aspects to this inheritance. One is past, one is present, and one is still future. Let's start with the past. The presence of the Holy Spirit within us is the first aspect of our salvation, the presence of the Holy Spirit. If, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a Christian, you've already received the gift of the Holy Spirit. This part of your inheritance has already been given. It's past. Paul talks about this in Ephesians 1, verses 13 and 14, which is on your screen. It says, Paul says, when you believe, believed in Jesus, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Back then, a seal was a stamp that you would put on your things in order to prove that they were your things and not someone else's things. When we trust in Jesus and are adopted by the Spirit into the family of God, God seals us with his Spirit. He 
stamps us as his own sons and daughters. The sacrament of baptism is the visible sign of this seal that we belong to the family of God and nothing can change that. But Paul says here that the Spirit is also a deposit, a down payment, the first installment of our inheritance. If you're a follower of Jesus, you've already received the beginning of your inheritance through the presence of the Holy Spirit living within you. But there's a second aspect of our inheritance, the ongoing present-day aspect, and that's suffering. Suffering. In 2 Corinthians 4.17, Paul says, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Can you see how Paul connects suffering and glory here, just like he does in Romans 8? The troubles that Paul describes in 2 Corinthians 4 are the same as suffering with Jesus in Romans 8, 17. In 2 Corinthians, Paul describes these troubles as light and momentary, which is, of course, the opposite of what they feel like when we're going through them. Often our troubles feel crushing, not light. And often our troubles feel like they're going to last forever, not just for a moment. When I went through my divorce 14 years ago, I felt like it was grinding me into the ground and the pain of it would never end. But in both Romans and 2 Corinthians, Paul is looking at our troubles from the perspective of the glory that will one day be revealed. That what feels crushing and unending today will one day, in retrospect, look light and momentary. Now, when we think about Jesus' suffering, we often think about how he suffered at the hands of other people. We think about how Judas betrayed Jesus. The leaders of his own people rejected him. Pontius Pilate condemned him. The Roman soldiers beat him and crucified him. And so we, we tend to understand the suffering of Jesus at what other people did to him. And so we tend to understand suffering with Jesus as what happens when people do these things to us or to other Christians. We call this persecution. And persecution certainly happens in our world today, especially in places like North Korea, Iran, Iraq, China, other places. But I want to suggest that there's far more to suffering with Jesus than persecution. See, Christ's suffering wasn't just at the hands of other people. Jesus suffered with people. He entered into their suffering. He entered into our world. Jesus entered into our pain, our self-inflicted pain, the pain of sickness, the pain of poverty, the pain of injustice, the pain of wounded and broken relationships. Jesus suffered with us. And Jesus also suffered for us. He took our suffering upon himself. He carried our afflictions upon his shoulders as the suffering Messiah. See, suffering with Jesus isn't just persecution or even mostly persecution. Suffering with Jesus is entering into the world's brokenness and pain 
its hatred and its divisions. Fleming Rutledge says that suffering with Jesus is taking the world's wounds, scars, and afflictions upon ourselves. And our own troubles in life are the entry point into the world's suffering. In God's family, this is part of our present inheritance, suffering with Jesus. But there's a third aspect of our inheritance, a future aspect, and that's glory. Glory. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, Paul says, And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. As we reflect on Jesus' glory, the glory that was revealed in his suffering with us and for us, we are being spiritually transformed into his image. From ever-increasing glory, or some translations put it, from glory to glory, or one degree of glory to another. And this transformation within us is the work of the Spirit, who is the deposit, the first installment of our inheritance. The hidden glory deposited within us through the indwelling of the Spirit is growing inside of us as we focus our attention on Jesus. And this glory will keep on growing until one day it is fully revealed for all of creation to see. It's hidden now underneath our suffering and pain, underneath our mortality and weakness, our shortcomings and failures, but it is growing as we become more and more like Jesus. So let me briefly suggest a couple of applications of this teaching to our lives. Here, here's the first one. First, we can be sure that our present inheritance guarantees our future glory. Our present inheritance guarantees our future glory. The presence of the Holy Spirit within you today is God's 100% guarantee that you will one day experience the fullness of your inheritance as God's son or daughter. And so when you blow it and you wonder if God has given up on you, the Spirit's presence within you is God's guarantee that he is not finished with you yet. When other people question whether you're a good enough Christian, the Spirit's presence within you is God's guarantee that it's not about how good you are at any given moment. When church feels hard and you wonder if you really belong in this family because you feel so different from everyone else, the Spirit's presence is God's guarantee that you are a legitimate son or daughter in this family of God. Our inheritance guarantees future glory. Our inheritance also puts our present pain in perspective. Our present pain in perspective. I know there's a lot of P's there. I almost said our present pain in proper perspective. You see, we all want to jump from spirit to glory, don't we? From past to future. We want to bypass the present suffering. We look for shortcuts around it. In fact, Paul's two letters to the church in Corinth were essentially him correcting their flawed theology that tried to jump from spirit to glory and to bypass suffering and weakness. Yet the Bible is clear 
that our present day inheritance includes suffering, afflictions, troubles. Now that may not sound like good news to you. That may sound like a part of your inheritance that you wish was left to someone else other than you. But there is good news in this. Because the good news is that as God's children, our suffering is never wasted. It's never wasted. Because of our inheritance of the Spirit, our suffering, our sicknesses, and our setbacks, our problems, and our losses, and our troubles are all God's way of joining us to Jesus more fully and developing that hidden glory that's already present inside of us. You see, there is no option in life that is free from suffering. There's really only two options. There's suffer without God, suffer without purpose, without meaning, without hope, or suffer with Jesus as the Spirit uses that suffering to cause glory to grow within us. There's no third option that excludes suffering entirely. In fact, C.S. Lewis once said, try to exclude the possibility of suffering and you will find that you have excluded life itself. We suffer with Jesus because he's a suffering Messiah. He bore our infirmities and our weaknesses. He knows what it means to be rejected and unloved, misunderstood, ridiculed, and hated. Yet despite his pain, he refused to hold back any part of himself, but he fully entered into our world, our despair, our pain. Suffering is part of our inheritance. And it puts our pain in perspective. Finally, our inheritance of the Spirit also is bringing hope to all of creation, bringing hope to all of creation. The destiny of the world rests on our inheritance of the Spirit as God's family. I know that sounds grandiose, it sounds outlandish, but it really is what Paul is saying here. The work of the Spirit within you and I will ultimately reveal a glory that will bring healing to the rest of creation. But that's still yet future when Jesus comes again. Until then, we honestly don't look like much as God's children. We're not very impressive. We fail and fumble through life, making mistakes, sinning, losing our way, getting distracted. Our world is thoroughly unimpressed. And of course, the steady stream of scandals and controversies from high-profile Christian leaders doesn't help matters. But do not let appearances discourage you because God's Spirit is doing His work within His children, within you, within me, within us. And the inheritance of the Spirit is creating a glory that is the hope of all creation. So yes, inheritance can tear a family apart, but it can also bring great blessing. As followers of Jesus, we have an amazing inheritance of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit himself is the first installment of this inheritance. Our suffering in life, being joined to Jesus' suffering, is the present day aspect, and yet there's also a future glory that will one day be revealed for the healing and redemption of all creation. 
This is your inheritance if you've trusted in Jesus. This is the inheritance of the Spirit. And there's an old prayer attributed to a slave who became a pastor that seems like an appropriate way to end today. It's a prayer that goes like this. Lord, we ain't what we ought to be. We ain't what we want to be. We ain't what we're going to be. But thank God Almighty, we ain't what we used to be. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this beautiful vision of all creation and the almost unbelievable role that we as your children play in it. Lord, forgive us for the times that we have tried to jump from spirit to glory. Forgive us for the times that we have in the midst of suffering questioned whether you were really with us. Because that's when you're with us most fully. Lord, not that we look for the pain, but when it comes, may we enter into the suffering of the world that we might suffer with Jesus who didn't hold himself back, whose glory was revealed in his suffering, that the glory of your sons and daughters might grow and we might be ever conformed into his image. Thank you, God, that this is our future. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.